0: Today's episode of the Film Stage Show is sponsored by the historic Armenian Oscar contender Amerikatsi, which is for your consideration in the Best International Feature category. He had his wife, you see, pretty little thing,
1: silly little nit, had a chance for the moon on a string. Oh,
0: back, ladies and gentlemen, to a brand new episode of the Film Stage Show, the movie review podcast from FilmStage.com. As always, I'm your host, Brian J. Rowan. With me today, we have, of course, Robin Barr.
1: I am also a poor thing.
0: Are we not all, in our own ways, poor things? Mm. Um, and with us here to talk about poor things of various types and stripes, we have Hannah Strong.
2: Hello. Thank you for having me.
0: Of course. Thank you so much for being here with us today to talk about the newest film from Yorgos Lanthimos Uh, would you like to introduce yourself to our listening audience
2: yes of course Um, yeah my name is Hannah Strong I am a film critic and pop culture kind of devourer uh, based in London and I am the digital editor at Little White Liars magazine who have just or I say just, it was just before Christmas, put out a poor things issue. So I am very much steeped in this world. I have been in this world for many <laughs> months now. Um, and I'm, I'm very happy with that. It's, it's a great world to be in, in my opinion.
0: Excellent. Well, we are glad to have you here uh, to talk about this movie, which uh, has a lot to talk about in it. <laughs> so <laughs> excited to get to that as soon as we can. And uh, on that note, let me rush through all of our front matter. You can find us on Twitter at Film Stage Show, Facebook, The Film Stage Show. Email us, podcast at filmstage.com. Find us on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts and give us a comment and a rating so you can help people find us and know how awesome we are. And don't forget to go to patreon.com slash show for as little as $1 an episode. You can become a patron and help us to produce this podcast. You'll also get access to our Slack channel where we have awesome giveaways and crazy, insane people who talk a lot about food and television and movies and books and all other stuff under the sun. In addition to all that, I would like to say that we are brought to you today by, again, the historic Armenian Oscar contender... Why can't I say Oscar today? (laughs) Oscar contender, Amerikatsi. Directed by and starring Michael Gorgin. A film of tremendous spirit and hope, Amerikatsi follows Charlie as he returns to his Armenian homeland and finds a country under Soviet rule. After being unjustly imprisoned, he soon discovers he can see into a nearby apartment from his cell window. As his life becomes entwined... With the prison guard who lives there, Charlie begins to see that the spirit of his homeland is alive and well. Uh, Variety calls it Enrapturing, a balm for even the most hardened souls, which means it should appeal to everyone in our audience. This film is put out for your consideration in the Best International Feature category, that is Amerikazi, And... It is available on VOD, so even all of our listeners who are not Oscar voters can have a chance to go check it out, and I know that I am looking forward to it greatly. All right, that's it. We now can dive straight into the Lisa Frank-inspired morass that is (laughs) Poor Things. This, the newest film from director Yorgos Lanthimos, um, who has previously done such a uh, carefree delights such as Dogtooth, <laughs> The Lobster, Killing of a Sacred Deer, and The Favourite. Um, this movie, written by Tony McNamara, uh, based on the novel by... Uh, does anyone want to help me out with the first name of this person?
2: Alistair. Alistair.
0: Okay, so it is just Alistair. Yeah. Okay, I don't have to go like, Alistair. <laughs> All right.
2: Yeah, I mean, I guess I, I, I'm not Scottish, so maybe they would say it differently, but I, I've always been under the Im- impression it is just Alistair. Like, right. you know,
0: I,
3: uh, maybe a
2: slight, maybe slightly softer than you would say with a T, but I, I, you know, I, I think it's okay. Alistair. Yeah. There we go. Like, you sound like Duncan Wedderburn there. That's a great start.
0: <laughs> <laughs> what a name. What names in this movie? Can't wait to talk Such about Such great it. names. <laughs> this movie stars Willem Dafoe, Emma Stone, Mark Ruffalo, amongst many others. Um, and we're here to talk about it. Before we do that, uh, as always, let's play just a little bit of the trailer so that we could give everyone absolutely no idea what to expect when watching Poor Things.
3: This is Bella. Bye, bye. Bella. This is Mr. McCandles. Hello, Bella. Oh, she's an experiment.
1: Good evening.
0: All right, so that is part of the trailer for Poor Things, a film that is out in theaters now and has just recently won a uh, couple of of awards, so something that Mm -hmm. probably will be talked about for months to come as we ramp up towards the Oscars. So let's talk about it. We'll begin spoiler-free, though I don't honestly have any idea what the hell that means with relation to this movie, uh, with our nutshell thoughts, (laughs) and we defer, of course, as always, to our guest... So Hannah Strong, without doing anything that you personally find to be a spoiler, what do you (laughs) think about the movie Poor Things?
2: So this is one that I've been very excited about, I think since it was announced um, just after The Favourite came out. So about four years, nearly five years ago, I think this was announced and I was very excited because I adore Yorgos and I love Emma Stone. I think she is the voice, the face of a generation. And um, it was, yeah, kind of, it sounded like a dream to me. Um, I think it is a kind of a dream in in many ways. Um, And yeah, I... It's definitely one of my favourite films of 2023. Um, I was so kind of surprised and delighted by it. And I am very happy that it's got as much, you know, recognition as it has from uh, critics and from awards bodies, because I think it's um, such a bold and interesting film. And those aren't always the ones that get awards attention. So, yeah, I'm stoked. We're going to be kind of diving in deeper. But up front, making it very obvious, I love this film.
0: All right, excellent, Robin Barr.
2: So this is a movie that
1: I think is really fun. Uh, it's interesting, never—I shouldn't say never boring because I struggled a little bit uh, as it went into the you know second and third acts. But you know, overall, it's—it's it's a movie that I have been recommending to people because I'm like, you gotta see it. But it doesn't quite hit it for me, and I certainly want to dive into some of those very specific reasons. But one is um i can't speak to the novel but i think the general concept of who bella baxter is um just i i struggled with it a little bit um and i i will i'll save that for spoilers um, (laughs) because i think that it's like basically like the element of the movie i also found that um you know in the same way that i struggled with the barbie movie feminism 101 i think this movie just kind of does the same thing on a different level Uh, although you know again they're both fun movies to some degree um and i especially love the production design of this i mean again it's a movie i feel like people really have to see probably in the same way i've been saying that like oh you gotta see saltburn like (laughs) like i i want people to see it and talk about it um but it it just, uh, I felt like I have, I don't know if it's like a moral quandary with the movie, but there's there's something about it that's just um, that I have like critiques of the themes or the way it's presenting certain themes. Um, but overall, I mean, the performances are great. It's like the first time I've liked Mark Ruffalo probably ever you are just um, like
0: the most controversial person on her
1: <laughs> i sure i'm gonna be Mark like
0: rovalo internet boyfriend <laughs> i've never the first
1: time <laughs> oh yeah he's just one of those actors that like gets on my nerves for kind of no reason <laughs> God, um well maybe not no reason <laughs> <laughs> so yeah i mean but he's really fun in this uh i keep saying that a lot um it's just a it's a it's a it's a performance that he doesn't typically do, which is what I like. And the stone is really fantastic. Um, But it's like the way the, the way the story develops uh, was like my main issue. And, and, but everything else is like pretty good, you know, like all the other elements. I, okay. I, I don't, I just have one more thing to add, which is I didn't think the jokes really landed that well.
0: Like any of them.
1: You know, I think it depends on your sense of humor, but I think that the the construction of the jokes were like too internet age, um, which we can talk about. Yeah.
0: Sorry about that. No, it's fine. You had paused and I thought it was my turn. Um, I honestly have no idea what I think of this movie. I watched it Monday night. We're currently recording Wednesday night. And I've been turning it over in my head and I, I almost feel like I need this conversation in order to come to like a conclusion. I, I will give my impressions of the film as I saw it. I, first of all, I would not recommend this movie to anyone only because (laughs) I have friends who are like alive in polite society. And most of them, I just don't think would be into this. Um, yeah, I'm sure. Like even my weirdest friends, I don't like I got in trouble when I was a, when I was a lad, when I was like a teenager, cuz I heard good things about the movie uh The Secretary. Yeah. With, with Maggie Gyllenhaal. And so I rented it and me and a bunch of friends watched it and I was never allowed to pick a movie again.
1: Um, <laughs> that's a <and>, good movie.
0: <laughs> I think it's, it's a so great, great movie.
1: Great. Your friends <laughs> are too normie.
0: Well, that's the thing. My friends are too normie. Even the the drunken homicidal heroin addicts are too normy when it comes to their movie intake, right? <laughs> so, what do you think
1: of Requiem for a Dream? <laughs>
0: uh, they did like Requiem for Dream. The thing, okay. <laughs> they will go for a depressing movie that has like a touch of like realism and is like, this is what happens when you get addicted to heroin or diet pills. That's cool with them, right? Um, it really does seem like for a lot of my friends, like the limit is like a lot of, sex or like out there sexuality. I don't know. Which we could talk about in this movie because this movie doesn't yeah. even have a lot of out there sexuality. It just has a lot of sexuality. Yeah. Um. And so I'm watching this movie and there was a point where I realized, I don't even remember what made me think of it, Um. but I realized that like, if the projector broke, right? And they were like, sorry guys, it's going to be 15 minutes. I would have just left mm. and I wouldn't have cared. Like it, it's, I just was never absorbed. I didn't really have any feelings for any of the characters. I think the closest I came was Willem Dafoe, but only because yes, I, agree. I, yeah, only because he's an incredible actor and there's a lot of pathos in him. And I kept wanting to hear more about his dad. Every time that he brought up another facet of his relationship with his father, I was like, this is what I'm here for. Um, I had a lot of trouble parsing what the story was trying to say with Bella, especially Mm -hmm. when we learn about her past, and especially as she starts to gain opinions and thoughts of her own, because it feels as though the truth of her essence makes it so that we should never think that any decision she's making is a good idea. And so I'm interested to talk with both of you to see how you feel about that, see what you think the movie is saying, what the characters are saying. I think that if I were to ever say anyone should see this movie, it would be like a group of five people who are going to go see it, and then are they going to go out for drinks? Like, this is a perfect, like, what did you think of that movie? And I feel like I've been stuck in stasis with it because I haven't had a chance until now uh joyfully to have a what did you think of it with anyone so i'm excited to be here um i don't agree that i like the production designer aesthetics i actually found them to really take away Mm. so uh i'm i'm currently sounding like the most negative but who knows by the end i might love this movie so let's do it
2: I feel like I've got a real
1: uphill battle here. I, so you know what? I, I, I feel a little I bad because I'm like, I don't want to yuck your yum.
0: <laughs> and I I don't want to yuck your yum either. So most of my questions won't be, why are you wrong? They will be, <laughs> why do you feel that way? I want to understand how you feel. That way Because I've heard from other friends like, oh, I really loved that movie. And I'm just mm-hmm. like, okay, well, I unfortunately don't have the time to sit with you and talk about this. Um, but now I have the time to sit with you all and talk about it. So I'm here to help clarify my own opinions, to throw whatever opinions I have out and see who, who kicks them around and, and what you think of them. And uh, to help further solidify my thoughts on this movie. So I'm excited. Come on this journey, will you, listeners? Um, but yeah, I don't know. Uh, Hannah, what, what is your, I guess, reaction to everything that I have said?
2: Harry. And me, and me. <laughs> it feels like, I feel like I'm Joe Pesci in Goodfellas, you know, where they take him in the room and they're like, <laughs> Um, Yeah, no, I, I mean, I totally, yeah, I, I actually um, understand both of those kind of takes on the film. And I do think as well, in terms of... Um, you know would i recommend this to my friends especially my normie friends who maybe don't watch that many movies or don't watch this kind of movie um i think i would think twice i think i'd probably recommend something like saltburn way above something like this and i don't even really like saltburn very much it's cuz normie's just- love saltburn <laughs> there is that yeah um th- i think it's a more I, kind of ac- accessible story maybe i mm. mean
0: i have not seen saltburn yet i've been Holding off, you know, because I usually like to watch a movie like right before we talk about it with a couple days buffer. Sure. Um, I have to imagine that for a lot of people, the sheer aesthetic of this movie will be the biggest problem for them. Like the,
2: I, I think you're right. Yeah. Like,
0: um, but- I, I Saltburn Salt must be filmed like normally right like does it have insane fish
1: um, eyes
2: actually pinholes? it's
1: really beautiful beautiful cinematography and beautiful production design right um, but is it like no it's not quirky
0: right yeah that's the thing and
1: the music like, is not quirky and the costumes. although i really did like the poor things costumes but again it's like much more accessibly luxurious than weird
0: right this movie yeah just all the aesthetic choices up to and including the costume and production design. Just every time I saw a new thing, my brain was screaming, like, why? And I think that maybe it's just because I'm a very introspective and thoughtful person. And so I'm I'm curious what the decision-making process for I'm all these empath. choices were. Yes, I am, in <laughs> fact, an empath. And so, like, yeah, like, at the end of the movie, I really wanted to be like, okay, hey, like, I need to find... Uh, production design and costume design and makeup design and like all these other like um, artisans who worked on this movie and find all the interviews with them. Mm. Um, I was much more, but but only because I was like, these are fucking bonkers choices, and why were they made? Like, why did we think this was the thing to help tell this story? And so, I'm. Well, can I'm, you give
1: an example?
0: Literally everything. The sky. The <laughs> the the weird trams. The way the boat looks with the green smoke, like every single ass. What do you mean? Can you like, no, I can't, unfortunately, which is another problem is that I'm, I'm in, I'm ensconced in this movie that is to me nothing but baffling choices. And I'm trying, I'm sitting there and I'm like, it's a fisheye lens because reality is distorted. It's a pinhole because it's really important. We look at it and, but we can't see the whole picture. Like, is that it? I don't know. And it was like, almost like there was so much and too much that my brain was just like at a certain point, you just have to shut off, give up and accept these on a purely cosmetic level, because to keep trying to parse the meaning in the moment is going to drive you out of your mind.
1: I was definitely not going to that analytical level. I was just taking it in. And I agree that (laughs) mm, no, I definitely would not describe myself. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I I agree with you that I felt like it was like, is it trying to look cheap on purpose? But at some point, I was just like, whatever. You know, whatever they were doing to make Alexandria look the way it did just kind of took me out of the movie. Like, I kind of felt like they they should have just been on a... On a oh, my God, what are those things called? Like, it was almost like a steampunk thing that they were doing. Yes. And so... I just didn't take any of the plot really that seriously because of it, because it it felt like it was, it was um, set in an alternative universe. And so when uh, there's a point in the film where Bella starts to, and we'll kind of talk more about the, the plot in general, but this, this main character is develop developing a sense of morality um, and they get, and she's on a cruise ship or whatever, a yacht that passes through Alexandria. The whole thing is done in such a, stylistic way that I just couldn't emotionally connect with what she was going through because it just seemed like random and I didn't care. And it looked, it didn't look real enough for me to actually see the misery that she was seeing. And thus Mm. it was just felt like pointless.
0: I concur. Hannah, defend yourself.
1: (laughs)
3: Defend yourself.
0: (laughs) Well, I guess you've now heard two people speak very enthusiastically about what didn't work for them for in in when you were watching it and having seen it and when you were experiencing it what did you feel when you saw those things like did any of these artifices that can't be right did any of this artifice strike you or did you kind of just absorb it all and or did it add to it
2: yeah I mean I think I was very taken right from the off I I really loved the um, attention to detail here and the fact it is so different from anything else that any other filmmaker is making at the moment. And the inspiration that Yorgos takes from fine art and from uh, Hieronymus Bosch and from uh, MC Escher and, and all these kind of places that he's pulling from, um, not only within kind of the art world, but also within film history. And he's talked about, you know, Pasolini and Paul and Pressburger and uh, Buñuel and kind of how he filtered this world through all these kind of disparate uh, different points of inspiration um kind of reading interviews with him and with uh, Shona heath the production designer and um, holly waddington the costume designer um i've just found so many layers to the kind of world that they created and for me it feels like every time i watch the film i see it's I think three times now, I, there's some other detail that I noticed some kind of extra layer to the storytelling, whether that is, um, you know, a kind of line delivery or a expression that one of the, um, actors makes or something as kind of, um, visual as a costume choice or a, um, production design choice. I think that I was just so immersed in this world and enjoyed being inside this world so much um I didn't really have any kind of um you know quibbles with any of it I think um to some extent I was so blown away by the obvious creativity and the obvious like dedication that your and his team had to the project um it didn't maybe matter to me as much if I felt um you know oh why are they making that choice it was just kind of I was so delighted they were making a choice um (laughs) you know and and I think as well the kind of world it operates on um is this kind of like dream logic world you know Mm -hmm. I don't think it's um it's not set in our reality and it's I don't think it's meant to kind of um be anything close to that I think it's this world of kind of possibility that he's offering um to us and certainly you know that's bella's kind of whole story is that she has been um told this is the way the world is and her reaction is why and this whole film is just her saying you know saying why and why does it have to be like that and um i think that's quite that's quite um, lovely to have this filmmaker who's just saying, well, why can't we use the biggest fisheye lens possible? Why why do we have to use something, um, you know, kind of conventional? Why can't we do matte paintings for backdrops instead of doing CGI? Um, Why do we have to do things as cheaply as possible, which is kind of how studios want to make films nowadays? Um, I think, yeah, there just feels to me something quite rebellious about it. Um, Maybe not as, you know, I've seen some kind of some criticisms which are saying it's not as um, provocative as Yorgos's past films. Uh, certainly, things like Dog Two, things like Killing of a Sacred Deer. Um, and I, I do understand that, and I think um, that's a fair kind of line of inquiry. Um, but I think that it really shows his kind of versatility as a filmmaker that he can make something as like lavish and over the top and uh, opulent as this film, and then he can make something like. Dogtooth or um, Killing of a Sacred Deer, which, you know, a very, very kind of stark and bleak and lots of sharp angles and lots of very long silences in those films. And this right. is kind of the complete opposite. You know, there's never really a moment of silence in this film.
0: No, I mean, yeah. So I hated Killing of a Sacred Deer. Um, I've had a real, real journey with Yorgos. Um, I haven't seen Dogtooth. I really want Oh,
1: I to. love that movie.
0: Dude. I was like, I'm going to see that. You guys got to see it. I told everyone I knew about Dogtooth. They all saw it. I never got <laughs> to see it. That's just how, that's just how life works sometimes. Um, yeah, I have like an ex-girlfriend who like I told her, hey, Dogtooth looks really interesting. And then we like broke up and like didn't talk to each other for a while. And then when we started talking to each other again, she was like, did you ever see Dogtooth? It was really good. And I was like, wow incredible that I have missed this movie, but you've seen it. Um, so I, I saw The Lobster. Absolutely adored it. Incredible. Probably one of my top 10 films of that year. No recollection of the, the way my list shook out. Killing of a Sacred Deer. I wanted to hang myself. That was, I hated that movie. It was terrible. I remember being on this podcast and I think I said like, I, this movie retroactively makes me afraid to watch The Lobster. Because how could someone who made something I love make something this bad? And then we watched The <laughs> Favorite and I was like, oh, this is marvelous. I'm back. And so it's weird for me to have a, a more ambivalent, precarious, you know, like, oh, I don't really know what I think with the with poor things. Because I was really expecting this to be either yes or no immediately. Um, I will say that like, yeah, Killing of a Sacred Deer is like awful Hanukkah like you know Mm. knockoff this to me felt like Terry Gilliam knockoff I don't tend to like Terry Gilliam films that's a problem though um (laughs) so
1: yeah I think that's an apt comparison
0: yeah but I agree Hannah with what you're saying like this guy's got versatility like mad like it's it's insane I mean even just looking at something like The Lobster which I liked versus The Favorite which I liked like, those are two incredibly different movies. There's a very different sensibility and energy. And it feels like the lobster, he modulated his starkness pretty well. The killing of a sacred deer, it went off the fucking rails. And then he tried something new with the favorite. And in that movie, I loved the fisheye photography. I found it to be enrapturing. I really, like, it. Like it, it I could immediately feel the purpose of it. And then in this movie, I once again feel like maybe he's dipped into Killing of a Sacred Deer territory, but it might just be that this particular style of filmmaking cannot annoy me to the level that his previous style did. And so at least I'm sitting there being like, okay, well, yeah, all right, whatever's happening. This is fun.
1: Do you feel like he's <laughs> just dipping into the same aesthetic quirks and so it feels less special?
0: No, because this is, I mean, you can't, like, I don't know. It's like it's like saying like, well, this person used salt. You know, do you think that they're just using salt again when they make a completely different meal? You know, like it's
1: uh, but th- but a fish lens is not salt. Uh,
0: it's saffron. Ta-
1: tamarind? It's like I don't know. Maggie.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it's Maggie.
1: Yeah. You've never had that. No. What's Maggie? Uh, do you know what it is, Hannah? Yeah, like kind of a seasoning mix yeah it could it's sort of like bullion but not or it, it's a, an umami okay. flavor i think it's popular in like south africa or something interesting anyway well, you learn something uh,
0: new every day um
1: it's it's just unique enough i think some of his aesthetic choice are unique enough where it's like if a i mean again this goes back to my whole thing about tourism. it's like I'm not that into Wes Anderson because the styles that he uses are just not my thing. I don't Mm -hmm. think that means he's a bad director per se. It just doesn't fulfill what I enjoy when I'm watching a movie. And so I think it goes back to this where it's like, if this is his thing, it's like, I've seen him do this thing already. And so if, if I see him do it again, it's like but you've already employed this in such a specific way that it's almost like going back to the same well. And and when I say this, I specifically mean like the cinematography um, because it's like Mm. it was cute in the favourite and Mm. then seeing it done so many times in poor things just feels like a a director's quirk. Mm.
2: Yeah, I understand that. I think that's kind of a fair um, um, critical angle to take on it. I think that I... Uh, maybe more forgiving of something like the cinematography, maybe feeling so similar because of the way that um, it, the film differs so much from The Favourite, obviously in tone, but then also, you know, the performance that Emma gives is so radically different from her performance in The Favourite, but also the use, I mean, something like the cinematography for me, it, it goes through so many changes within the film. You know, it goes from the black and white, um, very... Uh, kind of wide angles and fisheye lenses at the beginning to um the colour, the switch to colour, the codachrome that they use uh, no, ectochrome, ectochrome. I think he yeah. said, um, um, for me, I found it a much kind of more dynamic film actually than the favourite. And I like the favourite, but I, I don't like it as much as I liked poor things. Um, and I think that, um, the kind of what I got out of something like the fisheye for example <laughs> I'm getting caught up on the fisheye there's other things we'll talk about <laughs> the um the fisheye is the other... main character
0: I mean let's
2: certainly certainly you know certainly in those first few kind of scenes when you're in the house I think um there's this idea of it feeling a bit like a fishbowl and i mean obviously that's you know a, a very apt thing to use a fish eye for but um mm-hmm. this kind of idea of bella being this like creature that is to be studied and you know doesn't have any autonomy until she leaves this house and then she has to find different ways to um achieve autonomy from other people that are constantly trying to kind of oppress her in different ways um you know i i i think it's a trick that he has in a kind of a wider toolbox of tricks and it just about erred on the correct side of how much fisheye is too much fisheye for me um <laughs> mm-hmm. but um but i no, i do i do that, that is a totally fair point but it's kind of like oh okay you've, you're have you doing that thing you've done again um and i i think to some extent yeah wes anderson's a kind of good comparison because i with wes i've got to that point now where i'm like you know every year when we have a wes anderson film there's like people going oh Wes Anderson's made another Wes Anderson film. And I'm like, yeah, what did you expect? Right, like, he's exactly. not gonna- Right. Like, right. Here. <laughs> it's either your thing or it's not. You
1: know? well, exactly. I remember,
0: Robin, you and I didn't come to blows, but we had a spirited argument about Asteroid City.
1: I would say a spirited discussion.
0: <laughs> but like, I love that Wes Anderson thing. And, and again, Wes Anderson is another person. I was watching this movie and I was like, oh, look, it's Lisbon as Wes Anderson would do it if Wes Anderson were 12 years old and on cocaine or like I I just there's something something like off about it like it it, whatever reason (laughs) it just didn't ring as true to me as it does with those films and part of me was wondering like watching it like is it because whatever you feel about his decision Wes is making an info look at me Wes Wes Anderson my
1: best friend Wes
0: Wes Anderson is making an incision a, a decision informed by what he wants to do and say through the aesthetics and for whatever reason I just kept feeling like Yorgos is doing this cuz it looks cool. And that's probably. I agree with
1: you. And I think that's where I come from as well. But right, I think but, Wes Anderson does it too.
0: But I think that he thinks it looks cool because it reflects his view of reality. <laughs> like there is another step that I feel, and I don't have any proof that Yorgos Lanthimos feels that way. And I'm almost positive he doesn't. But for whatever reason, his implementation doesn't sync up with his intent in the way that I feel like it does in a Wes Anderson film. So whereas a Wes Anderson film is a perfect little clockwork music box world where everything whirls and spins and buzzes just so. I feel like this movie is that, but not tooled and machined with the same level of precision so that there's too many pauses and clicks and sputters and judders. And I can't get lost in the surreality. I'm just aware of it.
1: So, you know, I think if Wes Anderson is a is a toy tinkerer, then you could argue that Lanthimos is a painter. I mean, because there's something very painterly about this movie and maybe it just doesn't fulfill mm. yours or or personally my taste, I so so to speak, um although I respect what it's doing with color. Um because I think that's hugely especially with a costuming that's hugely important um i don't know it's, it's like a movie of respect, i respect let's just say but i am curious okay so we've talked a lot about the uh, the stylistic um points of view of this movie mm. but i think what i i certainly had the most issues with were just the story elements and i think maybe it's probably okay to get into spoilers with this, but really the whole trajectory of Bella Baxter's character. I mean, again, it's going to be one of those things like either, either it's for you or it's not. And I, the very concept. And so, so just, you know, to, um, I guess, summarize the film, this is a movie about a woman who, or a, a person, this person, Bella Baxter, who's being raised by a, a mad scientist Uh, who harvested her body from a woman who committed or who died by suicide and the woman was pregnant and he and this mad scientist played by Willem Dafoe took the brain of the woman's unborn child and put it inside of the woman's body and then frankensteined her back to life and so when we first meet Bella, you think maybe she's um, disabled in some way or mentally d- disabled. A lot of people think she's mentally disabled because she sort of speaks, uh, um, you know, with a certain cadence that is childlike or or not fully developed. And then also she has some struggles with her um, her walking and her mobility. Mm-hmm. And then you come to learn it's actually she's just a tiny baby slash toddler in the body of a woman and you see her as she develops from this childlike mind to quote unquote the mind of a woman but there was so much sex that happens in this movie <laughs> that i kept thinking like is she mentally like 10 having sex right now so because y- that really yeah, creeps me
0: out yeah yeah that i um there was no answer
2: a... for it. Hannah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> again, defend yourself.
2: It's dream logic. I'm just oh say my pizza. God. <laughs> so that's like, I Maybe will... I'm too literal as the person
0: on this podcast who.
1: Who hates ha- pedophilia who, the most. Who most, yeah, who we most has it. to speak out
0: against pedophilia. <laughs> it's funny. Cause we were just talking about licorice pizza in the slack again today. <laughs> um, uh, I was constantly distressed over what I was. I seeing was as well.
1: I was as well. It really took me out of the movie. I, and it, it made me like not want to be there.
0: Yeah, I there's there it, it 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 was it was never cool with me, man. It was always yeah. very disturbing, and that and that uh baby brain scenario also makes. All uh, everything she says, um, suspect because like she's like oh she's going to like uh, go learn about communism right like a child would because only yeah. a child thinks communism is a good idea like boom everything like literally every single thing in this movie is like right because she's a fucking child <laughs> like it's I'm I'm so I'm curious Hannah. <laughs> Aside from the dream logic thing, was it difficult for you to square our protagonist basically being like Jack in the movie, Jack. like
2: or yeah. big yeah, I, in the movie, big. I, I, yeah. I mean, I, I, I um, was reading uh, um, some criticisms today from a, um, a influencer who said that they found the film very offensive because they Um, believe that Bella's character is coded as neurodivergent and they um, Mm -hmm. thought it was kind of making a mockery of of neurodivergent people and I thought that was really interesting because I I identify as neurodivergent and that isn't at all kind of my reading of the film because for the first however long we're with her she is a Child and the film is very upfront about but we don't know
1: him. that for a long time. And so well, I don't literally... think for a long time, maybe the first like 15 minutes and yeah. He but says... for 15 or 20 minutes, you're like, is she going full R?
2: Mm.
0: I mean, she's introduced with one of the characters saying, like, that's the prettiest. <laughs> yes. Are we
2: allowed yeah. to say it if we're I don't, quoting
0: someone I, else? I
1: don't I know. And that's the thing, it's like that it's such a trope at this point that well, there, it's a trope. It,
0: are you going to say the trope "born sexy yesterday"?
1: Well, that is certainly the trope that this film fulfills. But I'm yeah. also, but I'm talking about the Tropic Thunder trope of, um, you can, yeah. own, like you get yeah, that, that, Oscars yeah. by playing somebody who is mentally disabled,
0: right? But only to a yeah. point.
1: Oh yeah, you I can't am Sam, go, but like, not Radio. Yeah. Never go full. Yeah. <laughs> mm. So I'm not. Tr- I'm not using the word R... I'm, just, I'm referencing that trope. I'm not using it in terms of my own vocabulary. Mm.
2: I mean, I guess maybe as well, because I had the advantage of knowing what the film was about before going in. You know, I, I'd, I'd already read, oh, the, right, book. I you read the book. Oh, yeah, right. I had
3: so,
1: no so, idea of what oh, was I going I had no
2: on. clue. <laughs> so I, I think maybe that helps. Um, maybe, you know, it, it meant that I kind of knew from the off what, what the setup was here. I mean, I do think, you know, I think the film is asking... Um, is not asking us to to watch Bella being kind of um, exploited at certain points and be fine with that. I think it's, you know, in, it. I think Yorgos as, as a filmmaker has always been very interested in rules and how rules of society, rules of personhood, rules of sexuality, whatever, how those kind of um, intersect and how people push up against them and how people are affected by them and i think that one of the things i found kind of so um refreshing about bella's story is that um and this may be very difficult for for other people you know i think it's one of the reasons the film has kind of caused so much um conversation is this idea that you know she goes on this adventure with duncan wedderburn who we know from the moment we meet him and hear him with his Mark Ruffalo's character. <laughs> Mark Ruffalo's character, this kind of lawyer who from the off, I think there's this air of he is a dodgy fella, as we would say. He's in a England. rake. He's a rake. He he's a cad. He's a scoundrel. Um, and you know, she goes off with him, and we're like, Oh god, something terrible is gonna happen to poor Bella. You know, she's got the mind of a child, this is not okay. And then after about however long that she's with him. It's him that is the shell of a man. He has been so completely wrong fitted by this woman who just refuses to kind of um, uh, fit in and kind of play by, you know, the rules that she is expected to um, as dictated by her father figure as dictated by max as dictated by duncan um that i found quite um you know charming and quite refreshing is that yeah the things there are things in this film that she goes through which are, would be pretty traumatic and, and definitely in other stories would be the kind of the the character's lowest point but bella has this sort of um understanding of the world which is so different from um any of us in this reality or kind of anyone else in her own world that um, almost makes her more resilient in a way and um, maybe more able to kind of um, move past things, Uh, which I think is really interesting um, that she refuses to kind of see any of these negative experiences that she has as negative. I think that's, I'm not saying it's right. It's just really interesting.
0: It's interesting because she's a child. I mean, like, I don't, that's that's the problem is you're saying i can't can't
2: get past it
0: also i am the, the father of a child who is seven years old and a lot of what you're saying is just like right she's a child children are incredibly resilient they have a brain that's able to absorb a lot and move beyond it because they're still in a process of like learning and stuff and that's great it helps it helps a lot but like it's it's weird to be like you've not seen the world till you've seen it through bella's mm-hmm. eyes because like it's difficult to divorce that mindset from the fact that she's a baby <laughs> or i guess
2: I don't, well like, i mean I don't, I don't i don't think she's a baby for the entire the no film, she definitely
0: grows up but like in the course of it's only been like a couple
2: months maybe? yeah they say she's 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 growing at roughly is that i can't remember the the exact um figure they give at the beginning it's um
0: i know she's learning 15 words a day and her hair's growing a a couple inches every couple days or something
2: it's gonna drive me mad i can't remember how many how expedited they say the kind of mental development is um and obviously that isn't you know that doesn't kind of negate the uncomfortableness um right and um you know i i i think it's you know it it, again it's a yorgos thing isn't it this kind of comfort level he's not asking us to um or not or not expecting everyone to kind of you know accept it and digest it um but he's he's kind of pushing up against something i think well
0: that's partially so i I guess i'm curious you you have read the book um is Mm. this like what the book is about
1: and
2: like is it a sex comedy (laughs)
0: <laughs>
1: with, a, with, a, with yeah a there's,
2: no, there's well the yeah, I mean the baby brain thing yes is is exactly how it is in the book and there is a what lot of sex in the book <laughs> um I mean Alistair Gray is a, a maverick, uh, um a really funny and very very intelligent scottish writer who sadly passed away um a couple of years ago and um very beloved within his home country and within the uk but i think maybe not quite as kind of known outside of the uk um but he's he's wonderful writer um very very patriotic and very, very this book um is actually set in scotland and has a lot about the kind of political history of, of Glasgow, which you would not get any of that from the film because the yeah, only Scottish the film, thing about the film is um William Foe's accent.
0: openly says it's in London, doesn't it?
2: Um I don't think it ever explicitly says it's London, but I think yeah it's quite heavily implied to be this alternate version of London. And then obviously they go to Lisbon and right, Alexandria and Paris. Doesn't and Alexandria most Harris. yes, where I think I think most of the film actually probably takes place kind of between places rather than in London or but definitely but yeah, there's no I mean, Scotland in this There's no movie. Scotland there's no I, Scotland exactly And yeah. that's very
1: controversial because I uh I noticed that a lot of fans of the novel and a lot of um I guess Glaswegians and Scottish people were <laughs> offended
2: by the fact uh, by the fact of the erasure Yeah, I mean, I think it's a fair thing to be upset about because Glasgow has this history of being the place where everyone comes and shoots these Hollywood movies because it's too expensive to shoot them in New York or wherever. But but when there's finally a film or a story that is set in Glasgow, they're like, no, we're not going to actually set it in Glasgow. So I I do think it is is a fair thing to be annoyed about, but the context of why the change was made, I think, is important. And obviously, Alistair Gray had given his blessing many years ago to make the film and it's only you know 10 years later that he's been able to kind of have the resources to make it um but um when I asked Yorgos about this because I thought I knew I knew you know I knew back in September this was going to be a question people had and his response was well I decided to just tell Bella's part of this story and the book is actually like it, it covers a lot of ground, like a lot more ground than the film does. It, it, she goes to more places. Um, there's a whole kind of subplot where she is refuting the entire account given in the book um, and saying it's all nonsense made up by um, Archibald, who um, is Max in the film. But um, yeah, that's that kind played of by Rami Yusuf. Yes, mm-hmm. who is a, who? A side note: I'm sure we'll get onto the performances in a second, but like he is great and now like the love of my life but um mm-hmm. yeah i um there's so much more going on in the book and so many things that did have to be stripped back just because it's it it's a it's a long film as it is it's so you know it's, it's nearly two and a half hours and i think if he tried to fit everything in it just would have been this <laughs> you know this like four hour kind of uh voyage across the world but also about the scottish um um the history of Glasgow town council, uh, Glasgow city council. And yeah, it's just, it's just, there's so many things going on in the book and it's, it's delightful, but it is not a kind of quick, easy read. It's a very involved story. And I think that um, it's a shame, but it's also, I, unless you make this as like a 10 part mini there's just no way yeah. you could have possibly got in everything that it had to offer. And um, I think to make it the way that Yorgos wanted to make it and to make it like the August Langhamos version of the story, this is the kind of concessions that had to be made. So I understand the criticism, but I also understand why he kind of did what he did. Um, and also, you know, I think it would have been such a shame to not get Emma Stone. You know, if they'd gone down the route of it, it's a Scottish film starring Scottish people, <laughs> um, we would have missed out on this uh, this kind of next chapter in their creative partnership. And I think they really are, you know. What,
0: she kind have done of, the accent. I mean, she well, I did, need to, I, she's got a baby brain. She can have whatever accent <laughs> she wants. Yeah, she's the one person who can get away with anything in this movie. I mean, a,
2: she's already American. I'm just Lisa saying.
0: Frankenstein.
2: <laughs> I have oh, I had people saying that. like she doesn't have a great British accent, and I'm like, I think it's fine. It's just a very generic English accent. It's nothing like it's not a hard accent to do. I think that... It's the, the, what, received pronunciation? Yeah, RP, RP, yeah. That's what we call it. Um, uh, Yeah, I mean, I I actually, um, I think that Willem Dafoe is, is kind of doing something um, harder, which is a, a Scottish accent is harder, but then not only that, he's doing a Glaswegian accent. He's approximating mm-hmm. um Alistair Gray's own accent. You know, he's kind of mentioned in interviews that he was watching videos of him because he wanted to kind of make it a little sort of tribute to him, which I think is really sweet. And just love Willem Defoe so much. Um yeah he's yeah, fantastic in this. He's just oh I just want to give him a hug. Like it's not often you watch Willem Dafoe and you're like, oh I just I just Want well, a hug from him Oh, here. I don't know. I feel like I always want to hug him. <laughs> Even in Antichrist, you're like, come on, bring it in, big guy. Oh, God.
0: <laughs>
2: <laughs> he's um,
1: he's really avuncular. Yeah.
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> um, I don't know. So I... I feel like we haven't really squared the baby sex <laughs> <laughs> like
0: that's it's, the poll quote
1: <laughs> i just can't i just i can't it's like my brain just won't let me forget it and so the movie keeps trying to make me forget it because it's like oh isn't she just like so funny she doesn't accept cultural norms but i just keep thinking she's a child like ick and it keeps going and going and then okay so there's So we see layers of this. At first, she's uh, delighted by sexuality. It's new to her. Then she gets bored of uh, Mark Ruffalo's character and kind of goes off on her own. She tries to um, give away all of his money to the poor Alexandrians because then she develops sort of like a moral compass. And then at some point, they're left destitute in, in Paris and... She's like, well, I like sex. I might as well become a prostitute. And that's where the movie really started to lose me because it just seemed so obvious. Like, of course, they're immediately going to go to sex work as a, as a topic to explore. And listen, I have seen them all. I have seen every possible <laughs> 19th century set story that involves a brothel. So this has nothing to do with prudishness or... I don't know, just like give
0: me a girl with Rouge and bloomers, and I'm there.
1: I've just seen them. I've seen it all, and so it's just like okay, b- back to this again. You know, picking the girls and the weird clients, and it just it like did it really develop her? I, I don't know, and I'm curious if it's actually in the novel or if it's just sort of like some male director fantasy
2: (laughs) no it is in the novel um and I I actually think that um Bella's kind of sexual appetite is much more voracious in the novel um I you know I think it's always different when you see something as opposed to when it's kind of written down and um I think that Actually, I mean, I could have taken or leave taken or left the stuff with the brothel. Though I will say, Catherine Hunter is delightful in her kind of brief appearance as this, for some reason inexplicably Cockney yeah. brothel in a, in Paris, covered head to toe in tattoos. I think she she has a really wonderful supporting role in the film. Um, I think I like this idea of she goes. You know, her first reaction is okay. I'm in Paris. I'm got any money. I like having sex may as well do that for money I'm like great good for you leaving the baby brain stuff aside for a second just you know following this to um, this train of thought and through this you know she not only kind of unionises the brothel um, she meets this other um, sex worker and they develop this incredibly strong friendship which we see at the end of the film has continued even like after she's left the brothel and I think that um it's it's not like necessarily my favorite bit of the film, but I do think um, it kind of did enough for me that I was I was on board with it. I stayed with the film throughout it, even though yeah, I mean, I, I you're right in that we we have kind of seen this thing before. Mm-hmm. It's not anything new. What do you think
1: she's learning through this process? Because maybe that's where I I guess you know it's really quote unquote her feminist awakening, and yet i don't know it's like, just so basic to... right and i i still i still struggle with that and it's maybe kind
0: of like yeah weird comedy about gross men
1: yeah and listen i'm i am nothing against depicting gross men um because men are gross no offense but
0: no i mean i'm I, i'm 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 sure if you put a camera on me like that people would be like ew so <laughs> but
1: but I am too. I'm a gross man. Like <laughs> I don't know. I i'm this is not like I don't know, it's nothing about men or whatever, but I but I think it kind of brings up what you alluded to, Hannah, which is this character is coded as autistic and it's used as comedy. And it's not this is not like my main reason for not liking the movie or feeling um skeptical of it, but the more I think about it, the more I'm like yeah she's just saying things bluntly the again the comedy and i kind of i mentioned this before it's very like i don't know to me punch a baby is very uh, like an online thing to say a very i don't know um what are they what are they not a shitlord. lord uh edge lord thank you it's like a very edge lord so i feel like the comedy is very edge lord it's very like on the nose to me um mm. And so I'm just like, I don't know. It's like, is its is really the whole crux of the story that this is a person who doesn't accept social norms and says things bluntly? In which case, like, <laughs> isn't that just, like, how we conceive of people with autism?
2: <laughs> I mean, I think um, I, I don't necessarily agree with the kind of idea that um, the character is autistic coded. I think... Um, as someone who is, has, you know, experience of this, um, I identify with her and I can understand why other people might think she is autistic coded, but to me, um, it's a very difficult kind of value um, uh, judgment, you know, assessment to make, because there's this whole other thing of, A, we're told she has the mind of a child um, and B, it's very clear that this is like a heightened, stylized, reality that they're existing in no character in it is talking like a normal human being talks um you know godwin baxter is like cutting people up for fun it's very
1: this (laughs) is he was cut up for fun (laughs) exactly this is what i
2: mean it's like it's very obvious this is not our reality and they're not kind of abiding by our social standards anyway even though there are some kind of similarities um it's you know it, it it's kind of the whole world operates on a slant to me so it's mm. you know it it is it, I just have to kind of go with it to a certain extent
1: yeah um, and I feel bad because I don't want to keep putting you in the position of having to defend the movie it's it's more like um here you know here's my perspective here's Brian's hmm. perspective I like hearing a different take on it because I don't necessarily need to be like you know I don't have um. I don't have a a bone to pick about this movie. It's more like, oh, you know, it seems, I feel like I liked it less than other Mm. people liked it.
2: Well, I mean, I think this is um, the great joy of why we do what we do, isn't it? You know, because some of my favorite conversations about films and not ones that i go into agreeing with the other person about you know and i remember oh, having yeah, a conversation it's... about master gardener with a friend and i really didn't yeah. like that film when uh, i saw the it and movie's then...
0: great <laughs> oh, <yeah.
2: laughs> well she kind of turned me around on it a bit and you know i i wouldn't say i adore it now but i certainly can appreciate it through having spoken to her at length about it and kind of understanding her perspective and what she loved so much about it I think um and also I think it's important when you do love something to interrogate that and kind of you know see if your own love of it is motivated by um emotional things or Kind of logical things, and if that matters, does it matter if you just have a purely emotional reaction to a film? You know, I I think that that's that's kind of what I love about criticism. I think it's it's the art of kind of interrogating not only your own thoughts but the thoughts of everyone else. It's like psychoanalysis, basically. No,
1: I think that's a really good point, and and I often, I guess, I get hard on myself at times because I'll I know when I like certain movies, it may be because I particularly relate to mm. the the story in some way or the characters i mean we were joking a few weeks ago during our Holdovers episode I was like oh this movie is like made for me this movie is about me mm-hmm. and i was like is that so do i love the movie because i i have some like personal experience with the subject matter mm. like i don't think that's really the reason um but i know that there is a i'm almost like biased towards certain things because mm. i find certain characters uh, very relatable in fact this it came up recently because uh, we always i joke on this show a lot i'm i'm the only person on this planet that liked um um earwig and the witch which is the like very poorly received studio ghibli film by miyazaki's son yes and, so I, I joke all the time, I'm like, oh, I'm the only person in this world who actually likes it. But I think one of the reasons I really like that movie is because it's about an only child who's very manipulative. And I'm like, oh, like, it is so me. <laughs> Nobody understands the plight of the only child. <laughs> so, I, again, it's like recognizing my biases or, or mm. um, uh, maybe respecting think- my own opinion less because I relate to something. I'm like, oh, maybe it's just like I only like it because I get it.
2: I think this is actually a really interesting argument that's kind of developing in cinema in kind of recent years. And I think some of it comes out of um, uh, the kind of big, big films that have dominated the kind of uh, zeitgeist over the last years is this idea of um, rebate relatability politics and yeah. is the film more successful because more people relate to it. And I think with poor things, one of the criticisms I've seen floating around is that um, it's, it's not as, good as his other films because it is so kind of um open-ended in that way. And, you know, um it, it's kind of nicer. And it's this idea of is your Goslanthomos suddenly more concerned with people um relating to his films in some way? but it sounds like you two don't relate that much. So he'd probably be very happy with that. Yeah, I'm
3: shocked <laughs> to find that people
0: are like, oh what a relatable film.
2: Like, I yeah, I, mean, I think the character is like, well, also well, a baby in yeah. an adult body. Are we, not, are we not all sexy babies? Like... Oh, Jesus.
0: Yeah, I was about to say, can we somehow relate this to the fact every movie's based on a toy now. Like, millennials don't want to grow up. <laughs> but I mean,
1: yeah. it is a companion film to Barbie. Like, it is yeah. about...
0: Yeah, equally uh, as fake looking.
1: Infantilized women <laughs> who... Go through some kind of like existential reimagining, and it's a fan, and there's elements of fantasy, and I'm sure god, there's a billion I, more things. I
0: just wondered, like, okay, would I rather watch Barbie or Poor Things again? <laughs>
1: uh, oh my god, I guess such Poor Things, <laughs> yeah. I, I really, I, you know, I liked Barbie a lot more the second time I watched it. Um, I don't
0: want to see it again.
1: Um,
2: <sighs> suppose you hate women. It-
1: I do. do
0: Women think, are the worst. Um. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I do think that, um, I, I mean, I really like Barbie as well as Poor Things, although I, I definitely can see, since I've seen, but I think I've seen Barbie three times now, and like you do kind of notice the cracks a bit more. And Maybe it'll be the same with Poor Things for me, but um, Emma Stone, when she was accepting Golden Globe the other night, said that she thinks of the film as a rom-com, because it's about a woman falling in love with life and i think barbie is kind of that as well and that i think is a very in some ways it's it's very like well yeah i mean i think by the end of the film she this movie
0: i see that for sure whatever i don't agree with calling it a rom-com but whatever she does fall in love with life
2: yeah it's
1: kind of like calling apocalypse now a horror movie
0: sure yeah yeah oh the horror of war yeah, I just don't think Barbie is about her falling in love with life. I, I, you know, Barbie what? is a fucking mess.
1: That's like literally the whole thing is that she she wants to be a real boy. It's <sighs> yeah, a Pinocchio analog. I have a big problem
0: with Barbie and the fact that she goes through her emotional catharsis and understanding like a third of the way into the movie. And then they have to undo all that and do it again. That bus stop scene (laughs) with the old lady, the only truly affecting scene in the entire movie, which happens. The old lady Ruth Handler. (laughs) That's so fucking dumb. No, I hate that part. Everything that she says to Ruth is bad. Almost everything that happens after she meets America Ferreira is terrible. I think
1: whenever they're in Barbie land, it's much more interesting.
0: Yeah, because Ken is in control, um, <laughs> I, and again, I'm not even saying that to be like an edge lord. It's like he uh, he just has a more like clear through line and a more interesting dichotomy between what's
1: villains are more fun.
0: Yeah, that's why exactly exactly that's why no one wants to be James Bond and everyone wants to be a Bond villain.
1: Uh, <laughs> what about a Bond girl?
0: Uh, less fun than both, probably.
1: He wants to be James Bond. I have no clue what you're talking about. Nobody wants to be.
0: Every time they're doing James Bond, they're like, maybe it'll be this guy. And that person's like, oh, yeah, that would be marvelous. I would love to be James Bond. <laughs> like, I You feel mean like,
2: no actor wants to play James Bond? Yeah. I think that's maybe, maybe that's also more about the fact they get locked down to a contract for eight years and if you're a villain it's just like cool, I get to come in for one movie and be the coolest mm-hmm. motherfucker in the film yeah, nice. sign me up like. James Bond, you always know what
0: you're getting and meanwhile the villain, it's like this time his left arm detaches and becomes a nuclear bomb <laughs> Yeah, no?
1: but I mean <laughs> yes, in, in terms of um, in the literal world of acting in Hollywood it is more fun to play a villain but i mean in in terms of like who people fantasize themselves as which is what i thought you were referring Mm. to yes i think many more people would want to be james bond
0: i'm gonna
2: uh, is that controversial (laughs) i don't know (laughs) I will say in this film, if I was like playing a role, I would want to play Duncan Wedderburn because I don't think anyone in this film is having as much fun as Mark Ruffalo is. Having.
0: Mark Ruffalo in this movie is doing stuff, and all I could think every time <laughs> he was doing it was how much better. Rafe finds no Rafe. Yes, Rafe Fines did it. Yes, in a uh, fucking the Grand Budapest Hotel.
2: Oh, no. I I mean, I love that performance. I think it's Ray Fran's best performance, but um, I I they're different. Maybe they're different sides of the same coin, but like... They are,
0: they are degrees different, but in terms <laughs> of like, oh, here's a guy who appears to be super posh and well-mannered, but he's actually lower status than you'd think, and every once in a while he says the word fuck. Like, mm. right, it's just the same thing. It's like, how much comedic mileage can we get out of this guy breaking... And it's just like Mark Ruffalo is immediately such an obvious cad. He like like he's so goofy. Yeah, but and if you're look,
1: literally looks... 9 years old, you're going to think he's like a playboy. Right. I still think he's a playboy she's literally 9 years <laughs> old.
0: <laughs> and also like I just like the way that people are like, "Oh, don't touch yourself at the dinner table. That's not what's done in polite society." Like there's a billion other things you could say about why you shouldn't do that. <laughs> and so, but it's it's this kind of th- it's the same It's the same problem I have with a lot of Aaron Sorkin's bullshit writing because he will take an opposing position and boil it down into the stupidest, easiest to debunk, most narrow minded way of putting it forward so that his people can seem smarter by being able to say like just something that's one level deeper. And that's like most of what this movie is doing. People are just like, well, you need money. That's it. That's your big thing. Money exists. Congratulations. Anyway,
1: can I make a random complaint? Which is, I
0: would love if you made a random complaint.
1: Um, oh my god, my brain just totally forgot the person's name. Oh, hold on a second. Um, so <laughs> there's one performance in this film that so did not work for me that I almost wanted to turn it off, and that was uh, Gerard Carmichael. Oh, I really? really I him oh god i mean talk about like on another planet from this movie like that was i don't yeah, know what I liked he was his doing more oh i sure but like, i'm when just he, saying when
0: he says oh she seems thrilled to be murdered i'm sorry and like steps out of the way that was like the one time i laughed out loud in the movie
2: i i think that is one of the funniest bits in the oh, film God. with, with uh, hannah uh Shugler, who is great and i i, I was very happy yeah to see they her were they were
0: my favorite part of the movie i perked up and then at the end of the movie i'm like oh is like like i saw the uh the the one french prostitute and i was like oh are we gonna have like a bunch of her friends like hanging out with them and it's like no it's just the french prostitute and i'm like okay <laughs> why
2: oh <Aww. laughs>
0: Like, where's the where's the the cynic and where's the German woman? Like, what's happening? Like, why did we only were, import the French prostitutes? They were
2: off on another cruise. They cruises. could come and visit,
0: <laughs> read books together. He could be a dick. She could bite him again.
2: Hey, I, I will st- say again. I know. I I, I I will say um, I, I like Jared, um, but my kind of MVP of, of very small performances in this was um, Christopher Abbott popping up his. Um, yeah, that was delightful. Five minutes. I, I love it. really him. good at making me hate him. He's so good at it. I'm like, oh, yeah. You, you're so handsome and you seem really nice, like in interviews, and then you'll just play the biggest bastard. What's the other movie <laughs> where
0: he played a huge bastard? It was the one with the lesbians without electricity.
2: <laughs> so this is a great way
1: of describing yeah that. i forgot about that one i mean no, he's also, and I,
0: but now i want you to say like six movies and i go no not that one no not that <laughs> <one."> really
1: obnoxious and <laughs> girls it's called like the edge right. of the
0: world or like the world of tomorrow or something like that
1: the world we
2: know
0: no it was like the, world the world's to about to end
2: oh yeah it's the, yeah the world to come with with um, oh, that's Vanessa, it. Vanessa oh yeah Crabby. like yeah. showing up yeah <laughs> going
1: off you must hurt my feelings yeah casey affleck's like
0: depressed because his kid is dead and then affleck. Like, another woman casey affleck is in that movie
1: yeah okay you are
2: right. Yeah. oh no you just said casey affleck affleck yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what's that affleck. affleck um He's he's a bastard in so many things. So um, Sweet Virginia, I think he's a bastard in that as well. And uh, yeah, kissing like yeah, he's just really. He was in at another movie
0: there. this year, wasn't he, with Margaret Margaret Qualley? Margaret Qualley. Yeah,
2: Sanctuary. Yeah, Is Sanctuary's that good? very good. I yeah, I really that. liked it because yeah. I
0: like her. And when she was in this movie, I was like, oh, sweet. And then she does not progress as quickly as Bella does, so she <laughs> never becomes an interesting character. Oh,
2: in the end. That was kind of the implication that she, uh, Im, Im, yeah, implication that she is getting there in the end. Right,
0: because she can catch a rugby ball now. <laughs> um, What was I going to say? Yeah, it was funny because I'm watching this movie and I'm like, Gerard Carmichael and Christopher Abbott, did Yorgos Lanthimos see on the count of three? And <laughs> uh,
1: that movie. I Which wasn't like even that, that bad. I mean, bad. I liked it, it better than fine. you, but. Um, yeah. shout out to Vicki Pepperdine in this movie, who is in such a teeny tiny role, um but does it so well. and she plays the the housekeeper at um at the Baxter household. and and Vicki is
2: a wonderful comedian, um and I highly recommend uh, her work. And yeah, she's great. Wonderful. She's a, a proper mainstay of British TV as well. Like, yes. she's been in everything. I, I getting, also on, just getting on. Getting on. Love the idea that your boss is like watching Getting On. <laughs> I know. This <laughs>
1: that is, you know, I would like that. you would on. like that show. It's so dark.
0: I do love some dark shit.
1: It's like about these three um, nurses who are going through sort of like life stuff and they work in a geriatric ward at a hospital and it's Mm -hmm. it's like grief calm but it's good it's very good peter capaldi directed a lot of it oh that's true i watched both the original and the american and and they're both very good
2: oh i didn't know they did like a remake of it they did
1: it was very it was done very well very well cast
0: yeah i've seen commercials for the american remake
2: Oh, Laurie Metcalf. I'm looking at the Google mm-hmm. page for it now. Wow. Oh. Yeah, My mom is a huge game on fan.
0: Mel Rodriguez.
1: Yeah, Alex Borstein team plays the Joanna Scanlon uh character.
2: I am like I'm really enjoying this thing that's going on in Hollywood at the moment where like random British sitcom people just keep popping up in movies like I mean obviously uh, Olivia Coleman um is kind of you know a mainstay of British comedy. She has been for a long time yeah. magnificent. But um in Wonka there were loads of loads of random like British comedians and I was like this is great. That was, oh that whole thing was like horrible, <laughs> horrible histories first off. The entire horrible histories crew um the peep show like half the cast of peep show were in there. A couple of stand up comedians that I like were in that. It was just great. I was Ellie White who i love um yeah phil wang it's great who is it for no idea (laughs) love that i don't know i don't know who Wonka is for but i guess it's making money
1: so sure
2: but i mean Um. yeah i mean i i I think that um yorgos does do that thing of like casting people in um very small roles um quite well and i i'm interested to see because i know Hunter schaefer is going to be in his next one and um she said that she has quite a small role. So I'm interested to to know where that will rank for me in the kind of Yorgos cameos. Um, Interesting. Rank. I really like
1: her. I Yeah, she's got a bright future.
2: I can definitely like see why. Um, I think she's got that kind of sensibility that would work really well with his kind of comedy. Quote unquote Agreed. comedy. Do you know what his <laughs> um, next work is going to be? So Kind of Kindness, which is the one he shot directly after shooting... Uh, poor things um it, it's so this is one he's done with and you'll have to bear with me whilst i remember how you pronounce his name um it's the one it's okay so this is written with um ethemis Philippu, who he wrote dog tooth and love the lobster oh. and killing of the sacred deer with and i think alps as well maybe um so they're going back you know working together again so i think it will be much if i'm saying i think it will be but I spoke to Willem Dafoe for poor things and he said it is very much like his earlier work. So um, that to me is really exciting. The idea that we're going to get this potentially get another Yorgos film this year, which is going to kind of be more wow. like his older stuff and uh, obviously featuring Emma and Willem and I think Rami is in it as well. Um and Margaret just, Qualley, so yeah, just and Jesse Plemons. Um, so uh, again, a, a great cast, ends. and so interesting <laughs> that I mean,
1: he's <clears throat> it's really like Scorsese De Niro, except
2: Lanthimos Emma Stone.
3: <laughs> <laughs>
2: Apparently, they're already working on something else together as well. He said, wow. um, they have something else that they'll get a to new use. muse. <laughs> i'm all for it you know i think as long as they can keep doing it in a way that's interesting
0: dead i'm gonna hitch my wagon to this guy i feel like (laughs) that's where my so i just need to say as we were as we were talking right i looked i was going to look up something about poor things related to what we were talking about and i can't remember what that was but i saw the the title treatment in its font right and i remember watching the movie and also being distracted by the font and going oh my god why do i know this font so well and I went on Reddit and someone said that it looks a lot like the font for men in black. And that was it. Oh my god, it so does. If anyone else <laughs> was like me and going, why does this font feel so familiar? Oh and yeah, you, it does. Yeah, it's it's the men in black font, basically. I, it's wonder, got
2: that if, same... I wonder if you're just like mention that because that feels like too deliberate to be an accident. Like Yeah. It, it, it's such a, a weird. Thing to just not have considered, especially because I think there is something a little bit like alien about the film. Yeah. And this idea of being uh, th- dropped on fun. this other planet.
0: It's, you know, yeah. it's like stringy and it's tall and it's weird and it has like a Burton y kind of vibe to it.
2: Yeah, um, it's a great font. Yeah. No, oh. It's, it's one. So apparently, now I'm Googling this, apparently, this in itself is like a throwback to Doctor Strangelove.
0: Oh, okay. What is the it? The font.
1: The font. Oh yeah, I can see that. Talking about because I'm looking up the film and
2: I see these big chunky letters for Men in Black. Yeah, you. If you Google Men in Black font, the skinny font should come up. Oh.
0: yes is, I
2: am, oh i see i am
0: seeing the the um the definite yeah peter sellers yeah the doctor yeah Stranger you
2: see it font. yeah but so, that was that's not cool. where
0: my brain went my brain was definitely <laughs> thinking men in black because as it no, as no, i read that i was like i could feel in my head oh right the 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 dragon so it's the
1: opening credits font absolutely not yes. yeah. poster font yeah the, okay
0: yes the dragonfly moving th- and then smearing on someone's windshield Yummy! <laughs> I saw that movie so I much as a child.
1: Love that movie. I've seen it. Yeah,
0: I have it's not seen that movie in it. forever, and I think I'm going to watch it tonight. I think um, it
1: probably holds up. That's movie I've seen about a billion times. God, what a good movie!
2: I remember, like, absolutely, w- as a kid, like being absolutely terrified of um, Vincent D'Onofrio in it. Oh my God! Like, yeah. As you should be. <laughs> I <I'm> still <laughs> am terrified of Vincent D'Onofrio. <laughs> Oh. <laughs> Great actor. If I ever met him, though, I'd be like, "You terrified me as a child," <laughs> and he would be like, "You're welcome." I told I told um oh um Doug Jones that when I interviewed oh, him for the well, of Water. I'm sure he's him, heard that. Yeah, I I said to I said to him like, "Thank i I had nightmares after I saw Buffy as a kid," and he was like, "Well, I did my job," and I was like, "Okay, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> thanks for that, man."
1: i mean it's not like you're telling him that you made him
2: horny like (laughs) like, mean, it's like what are you supposed to say yeah i think actors are always happy to hear that they like they fucked you up you know (laughs) it's like yeah you were so scary it's like oh thank you that's what i was going for (laughs) thank
1: you (laughs) Mm -hmm. i don't know if you told that to barbara streisand i think
2: (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah i mean i think like someone like barry keogh and if you say to him yeah you were so scary in killing of a sacred deer he'd be like oh thanks but yeah, Barbara yeah she to would her. hit on you oh, <laughs> thanks,
0: Mom. um what are we what are we talking
1: about <laughs> uh movies
0: if we told christopher Fonts. abbott that he was scary what do you think he would do
2: i think he'd be delighted yeah probably yeah i think he'd be very humble but um <laughs> but i'm projecting now i i love chris rabbit i think he's so talented um, I, I wish i got more of him in this film because I, I yeah he's only in it for such a, a short amount of time i
0: i i'm sorry i, I clicked on chris rabbit because i was gonna be like oh what's he been in and then i like immediately a trailer starts playing when you go on someone's imdb page
2: Mm. And it was like, like, ah,
0: it was a bunch (laughs) of spiders and like people getting murdered in the woods. And it's apparently he's in the Craven the Hunter movie.
2: Yeah, he's going to be the bad guy in the Craven movie.
0: Because everybody wants to play the bad guy anyway.
2: Exactly. Um, Exactly.
0: (laughs) Yeah, he was good in It Comes at Night. I've enjoyed him in in things. Oh, he was also on an episode of Rami.
1: So Ah, see so it all comes full circle. Yeah, all these
0: all these people just pulling those strings. Um yes, there it is. The world to come. I think
1: it just shows that Hollywood is just tiny. Well I mean tiny. That,
0: you know, it's interesting you say that, but like there are these clicks where the people seem to be more aligned with one another. So like it's, you know, you see these connections made and you're like, I wonder if you know, um, yeah, like like what were the thoughts and the processes? There were some like someone must have asked someone's opinion. They can't all just be showing up randomly together. Like there's so many actors, and I so I wonder yeah. if he was like, oh yeah, he's one of like my you're not like a Rat Pack for, per se, but yeah, similar, but like
2: a kind of like oh yeah, I know him, like we're friends, we're buddies, that kind of thing. Like
0: yeah, like this guy gets yeah. it. If you're if you're looking for a guy who can deliver X against my Y, let me tell you about Christopher Abbott. <laughs> or Gerard Carmichael. I don't know which one of them probably got chosen.
3: First.
2: Well, I, know, I mean I I know that um uh Yorgos approached Rami because he was like a really big fan of the show. Oh, nice. So it, you know, it could have actually been that he I don't know. I don't know I don't know about his casting process, but I I did love like when I spoke to Rami about the film, he was like, "Yeah, Yorgos is a big fan of Rami and that's how I ended up in the film." And I was like, "That's that's so great." Like I just love I love that Yorgos has such a kind of um Wide range of references he's he's kind of pulling from you know he's not just like sitting at home listening to like very austere European um <laughs> noise music
0: weird oompa music <laughs>
2: yeah exactly yeah he's he's watching Rami like the rest of us you whatever know? the he's just, fuck the they guy. were playing in Lisbon <laughs> oh god yeah that yeah I rewatched that scene the other night because I was writing about the dance sequence and I was like wow this is not good music on tiktok
0: (laughs) they 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 advertise this movie and it's either mark ruffalo and willem Dafoe out of character just being charming together during a press conference or (laughs) it's that dance thing where she's like spindly legged like wooden doll and he's like hands on his hips like skipping and jumping and i'm like what is this supposed to make me feel like why does why is yeah. it I'm like, to make uh, me trying
2: to be? get like the tiktok dance challenge going like it's for, gotta be that someone's the like point okay the we need things. something for
0: that fucking dance app uh, <laughs>
2: okay i i think i think i just
1: need to characterize my some of my hesitation about this movie is that i really don't enjoy weird for the sake of weird exactly <laughs> quirk yeah. for the sake of quirk this is why and, i hate tim burton well, things, there there seems to be a rhyme and a reason for some of what Burton does. Like, I, I, I agree. love Beetlejuice, etc. Yeah,
3: I think with this,
1: it's just like, how can we rile up the audience with the most unsettling imagery or ideas? And it it, it just doesn't feel like authentic to a concept. It's just like, she's dancing weird because she doesn't know better. <sighs> I don't know. Your mileage may vary.
2: <laughs> i think i mean i think the dancing yeah i do think um that scene in particular i i like this idea and i think that the choreographer has spoken about this that um when you're a kid when you're a young person you're very uninhibited um and especially around movement and there's there's this video footage of me dancing as a kid and i now like as an adult i think from like the age of 15 i was like i will never dance again <laughs> like i'm so self-conscious so i like this idea of that scene is her like in like, Oh my God, dancing. Like, you know, she, she has no concept of, of this thing. And it's just this moment of kind of pure, like um, self-expression, like self-discovery that may, maybe, you know, maybe that's something that, um, is maybe missing from the rest of the film for you guys is this kind of the only kind of moments we're seeing it happen are when she discovers dancing or when she discovers sex <laughs> Yeah, that's a good
1: point. I mean, it's not that I disagree with it. It's just like... It, I i don't know. It's like either a movie moves you or it doesn't. Yeah, that's yeah. true. Yeah. yeah. At
0: the end I, of the day,
2: I, yeah.
0: I feel very out of sync with what this movie is attempting. And I don't know if I'll watch it again. it uh, It's like two hours and 20 minutes long. It's a long movie to be like, I don't know, maybe I'll try it again.
1: So I don't know. I, I often... I don't often end a film feeling like, oh, yeah, I'd definitely watch it again or I'd watch it again soon. Whereas I did feel that way about poor things. So maybe that's either my guilt for not understanding <laughs> this as much as other people. And I'm like, oh, maybe I'll give it more of a whirl. Or, you know, maybe there's enough of a something there for me that I felt like it it could be worth another viewing. Maybe not anytime soon, but I, I would be open to rewatching it.
0: I just I don't know. I was so uncomfortable during so much of it, and I don't feel that the movie ever justified that choice to me.
1: Which choice? The, the choice baby... of
0: her baby brain being in her head. Like
1: I like. like why not? I think just, it's an interesting it, concept, but dead. when you like, turn it into like just... a fuck fest, I just don't enjoy that.
0: Yeah, I guess that's. I don't know. I like. I don't even think it's quite interesting. Like. There are plenty of movies where like an adult plays a child to kind of like show like, oh, isn't the world interesting when you have it like this? But it's like kind of not, you know, and maybe I say that because I'm like a father of a child and I'm just like, no, a lot of this is fucking insane. Like <laughs> it's I, I, I love my daughter. I love children in general, um, but it is 100 percent one of those things where people are like if we could just look at the world through a child's eyes and it's like, no, there's a reason that we grow up. That's like what we're made to do. And there's a reason that we wait for people's brains to be mostly fully developed before they can like make massive decisions or vote. And I don't know. I just don't find that interesting. And, um, and I don't, I don't fully understand why it needs to be like a literal, like, yeah, it's a baby's brain in a brain. Like, why not just like, well, she's fucking dead and now she's back. And, um, you know, reboot, like, hard reset <laughs> factory defaults restored like i don't know and so and so watching you know the the fuck fest scenes would just i think be very uncomfortable again and i don't know that i want to have to go through that and i especially because like the payoff continues to feel just very very not worth it <laughs> for me and what's crazy is Even after all this discussion, if someone I still don't know what I would give this movie in terms of stars, like, I guess three, like, I don't know. I'm still
1: three out of five.
0: Yes, because I am a normal person. Um,
1: No, you're just a shill.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's polite society. Um, (laughs) I don't know. And it's also funny because all these people are like, oh, polite society will do this. But they're like the the one percent of the one percent. Hmm. anyway i don't know um i'm glad that we had a chance to talk about it though this is definitely a fun and edifying conversation i just don't know that i've come to any fucking decisions about anything (laughs) and it's very strange (laughs) that a movie be that way and i like the fact that uh i I have i've had to wrestle with this so hard
2: yeah i mean i think even just watching it in the first place is you know a good thing because i think you know there's plenty of people who will watch the trailer and just be like this isn't for me and just decide instantly that yeah and like
0: i did that i was like uh well no i didn't even see the trailer i just saw stills like i i because it's yorgos lanthimos i'm gonna watch it like at this point i know i'm either gonna love it or hate it but apparently i was wrong about that he continues to surprise me sometimes i'm gonna be completely befuddled by my own reaction and not be able to think about (laughs) what my actual final decision is so good for him i don't know i'm looking forward to his next thing
2: oh that's good yeah, yeah i mean you know, like, you know i think as long as he he's clearly doing something right if you know you're still interested in where he's going next i right, think that's, he's that's not, kind of amazing
0: that's and that's like every time i was like i don't understand why he's making these choices and you're like oh like the effort and the the thoughts and everything and i was like yeah he's not lazy and I appreciate the fact that he's putting a lot into it, but I just, I, I, again, I'm still just like, I don't Yeah. But like, why, like, why was this? He's not taking any of the obvious choices except for it's black and white. Oh, she's a little older now. Now it's in color because, you know, isn't the world more colorful when you start to blah, blah, blah. She's out of the house. And I'm like, all right, that's fine. You can make that completely obvious metaphor. I'll <laughs> grant you that, Yorgos. Um, Any final thoughts from anyone before we begin to wrap up?
1: I think we've made our positions very established.
0: Indeed. (laughs) Um, Nothing was decided. No minds were changed. But we had a good conversation. I... I, uh... Yeah, it is. It is crazy that at the end, I'm not like, you know what? I I was right. This movie is terrible or like, oh, I was wrong. And this movie is great. I'm just like, yeah, I'm still just kind of as confused as I was. It's <laughs> awesome. Um, but it's been awesome to have you here, Hannah. We will definitely have to have you back sometime.
2: Yeah, thank you for having me. Yeah. I mean, I, I as well, I mean, as someone who spent a lot of time thinking about the film, writing about the film, you know, I think it is really important to hear dissenting opinions because sometimes you know the kind of the critical consensus can be so you know boring and limiting so i'm 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 glad that that we had this like quite i think um lively chat about our our differing perspectives
0: i didn't even look it up is there a critical like if people loved this
2: i think generally i think i've read a few articles that or and a few reviews that are a little less hot on it but i think generally percent
0: on fucking rotten tomatoes that's incredible (laughs) it's score? <laughs> uh, that's a great question. It's 86 on Metacritic, 93 on Rotten Tomatoes. Uh, the audience score is 82.
1: Oh, okay. I'm this yeah, means being... critics are up their own b holes.
0: <laughs> and audiences are slightly less up their own b
1: holes. <laughs> no, I would say audiences are also
0: also up their also <laughs> same amount of up the b hole.
1: Yeah, this movie is <laughs> being
0: received incredibly well. Whereas The Beekeeper only has 70% on Rotten Tomatoes.
2: Oh, you poor boy. 70%? Oh, wow. I'm surprised it's that high. It's
0: actually shocking that it's that high. Um, Yeah, I mean,
2: I I haven't seen it yet. I've I've got to go and see it on Friday. Yeah, but it's like a
0: January Jason Statham release directed by David Ayer. A director I tend to like. And I love Jason Statham. It's also written by Kurt Vimmer. Who is, again, a writer and director who I tend to like. But it's still like you see that and you're like, well, this is going to be awful, right?
2: There's a lot of ingredients there that make for a quite um, uncompelling gumbo, um, yes. in my in my this opinion. This movie is either
0: going to be an incredible cult hit or it's going to be the worst thing ever. And right now it seems like it's slightly trending more towards the cult side. Um,
2: I'm also just worried there aren't going to be that many bees in it. Like, right, you know, so that's, that's my worry.
0: I know that I think that he is a literal beekeeper. And then in the trailer, they also make it sound as though the concept of a beekeeper is maybe some sort of secret society.
2: So that's what I thought. I haven't seen the trailer, but I I got the impression it was like a secret society. If he's a literal beekeeper, I'm going to be made up. I think it's both,
0: though. I think it's like if I think it's like (laughs) if someone was a mason, but also worked with stone.
2: Like, he just loves what he does so much
0: <laughs> yeah you know it's we'll like if you, you, yeah it's like if you join the freemasons and you're like all this stone imagery all this calling myself a mason you know what I think I'm gonna do I think I'm gonna try out masonry and you become a brick builder um anyway this clearly we have to have you back to talk about the beekeeper um <laughs>
3: yeah.
0: Which we are not talking about on this podcast. I may nope. steal out and try to see it, and then maybe I'll hijack whatever episode we're actually having. Next. You
1: look anything related to beasts?
0: Yeah, animals in general. I'm clearly gonna love Craven the Hunter, wherein Christopher <laughs> Abbott plays the bad guy. Um. Anyway, what were we talking about? Um. So we're all saying goodbye. That's the end of our thing, Robin. What are we talking um, about next time? If we're not talking about the beekeeper,
1: Ferrari. Ooh, Ferrari. I'm excited. Yeah, that's gonna be an interesting one. <laughs>
0: <laughs> you have said that with a deep sense of irony, but I think it actually will be. Um, so I'm looking forward to that. And um, yeah, that is it for today. Uh, don't forget to follow us on Twitter at Film stage Show, Facebook, the Film State Show, and this podcast is filmstage.com with all of your thoughts and opinions. That's all. Uh, Let's tell the fine people at home where we can be found between now and the next time that we are in their ears. Let's start with our guest, Hannah Strong. Where can people find your work online?
2: Uh, Yeah, you can find me on Twitter against my better judgment still um, at the third hand or usually on uh, lwlies.com reviewing, doing features interviews, uh, y- if you're interested my interview with Yorgos anthemos is up on the website now, so you can check that out he is a lovely, lovely man despite his weird weird movies um, and yeah, yeah, that, yeah. that's that, yeah, if anyone wants to come and fight me about this further I'll be holding a press conference on Twitter I'm sure
1: Yeah, you gotta tell us terrible, awful, horrible <laughs> human being directors
0: I am. Um, what was I going to say? Uh, yeah, like, <laughs> Silence. It's, it's interesting to still be on Twitter, but at the same time, like Blue Sky and Threads are fucking awful. So like, where the hell else am I going to go?
2: This is my thing. I'm like, if you're not going to give me a better option, like I'm going to just stay in like the cesspool, like, you know?
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm not going to log the, off. <laughs> at least in the cesspool, Sometimes people are people still Sometimes people just being...
1: like the bad nest. Well, also, like, I
0: I feel like people are being more human and normal on Twitter. And the second you pick either Threads or Blue Sky, you turn into a real piece of shit. Like, (laughs) the people that I loved following on Twitter are now, like, insufferable. And I don't know what it is. But I, I just like can't with there's, them.
2: There's a kind of like, um, there's like a holdovers attitude with with Twitter now. We're all the holdovers. We're all just there, like, oh man, I'm stuck well, at like, some. I'm stuck at school. Have <laughs> like, you ever?
0: Do you remember when you were a kid and like you had a friend at school and then you went to his house and you're like, well, it's weird here. I don't like this. I don't like this version of you. That's what I feel like yeah. it is with Blue Sky and and Threads. Is that the people who have gone there have become like different versions of themselves and they. Generally suck, but anyway, um, now that we've now that we've made enemies of the blue sky people, um, Robin <laughs> what are they gonna do? The what are they
2: gonna rice. do? Tweet us?
0: Yeah, they're gonna they're gonna <laughs> they're gonna skeet at us. The threads people are gonna write a devastating thread that I won't see for six days because they still won't make a goddamn chronological feed. Anyway. <laughs>
2: I just love the idea of someone tweeting this like takedown, and you don't see it for six. It you know, like, if a tree falls in a forest.
0: <laughs> I don't understand. He even added me, and it still didn't show up in my notifications. This <laughs> app is broken. All right, anyway, Robin Barr,
1: where can? Well, I guess me? you can find me on Twitter um uh, at r o b y n b a h r. You can also find me on Letterboxd uh my name. And, yeah, and I can sometimes find my writing at The Hollywood Reporter. I also um, wrote my top ten films of the year for the film stage show, which I was very happy Woo. to do. So, um, yeah, check that out.
0: Yeah, our top ten episode for the, the the podcast will be out in, like, I don't know, May?
1: No, February, February.
0: Oh, okay, cool. Um, as for it me, scheduled. You, you can find me on every social media site, including Threads and Blue Sky, Um, at Brian J. Rowan. I'm also on Twitter at Brian J. Rowan. Instagram at Brian J. Rowan. Letterboxd at Brian J. Rowan. You can find more about the whiskey that I make at inkwellwhiskey.com. And, of course, you can find my writing and every episode of this here podcast over at thefilmstage.com. So thank you very much, ladies and gentlemen, and tune in next time.